people are stacking dollars, people are stacking gold, and now like people are stacking Bitcoin as a way for them to hedge against inflation because things like what happened in 1998 can happen again. Welcome back to Beyond the Price, a podcast from CoinPost that goes beyond the flashing numbers to explore how Bitcoin fits into the global economy and how real people and real companies are actually using it, especially in Asia. For this episode, I spoke with Dea Lesquita, an Indonesian Bitcoiner who's in charge of organizing the upcoming Indonesia Bitcoin conference at the end of this month in Bali. There have actually been a number of Bitcoin-specific conferences in Asia this year, and since this is the next one, I was excited to get Dea on the show. We talk about her unique story of how she got into Bitcoin, the terrible inflation that Indonesia has suffered, how Dea educates Indonesians on what Bitcoin can offer them, and even how Bitcoin mining could unlock the country's geothermal reserves, which is actually something Indonesia has in common with Japan. We then get into what topics will be discussed at the conference, and what events will happen alongside it, like the Lightning Hackathon, and how they're using Fedi not only as a Bitcoin microeconomy at the conference, but also as the conference app itself for participants to connect with each other. It all made me really excited for this event, and in fact, Dale was kind enough to offer listeners of this show a discount code. So if you'd like to attend, visit IndonesiaBitcoinConference.com and put in BTP2023 at checkout for 10% off. Details are also in the show notes. As always, let me know what you think, and I hope you enjoy I'm here with Dea Lesquita, chairwoman of the Indonesia Bitcoin community, which is organizing the Indonesia Bitcoin conference at the end of October. She's also the founder of Kelas Bitcoin, an educational organization and community master for Fedi, uh, which is a really exciting community Bitcoin project. So Dea, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bradley. Thank you for inviting me for the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, I'm sure I, I think you're doing the podcast circuit these days. So I'm sure everyone has asked you about your Bitcoin story, how you got into it. Um, and I listened to a few of those podcasts, so I'm a little bit familiar. But what I found interesting was that you had a, a business use case for Bitcoin before you were even interested in it as a uh, um, as an investment or for economic reasons or for philosophical reasons. So could you tell our audience uh, a bit about that story? Sure. Um, yeah, so back in 2016, um, like so I'm an Indonesian who currently living in Bali. And if anyone knows about Bali, it's the center of spiritual holiday destination. So a lot of people like to come here to run retreats. So that's what I did previously uh, before I jumped into the Bitcoin wagon hole, <laughs> like Bitcoin wagon. So I, I help people running retreats. Um, so yeah, managing their hotel, pickup, um, anything basically. Uh, so usually when people are uh, planning for a retreat, they like to pay me in advance, maybe six months in advance or even a year in advance before the before the retreats happening. Uh, so uh, most of my clients are from abroad and then the way they pay me, like usually they pay me through PayPal or pay me through bank transfer for, for their bookings and uh, all of their needs during this retreat. And I found it really hard because uh, PayPal likes to take like 5% um, yeah. roughly and then they have a very bad exchange rate. Uh, if you, especially if you convert, let's say uh, I have a client that is not from the U.S., maybe they are from uh, 
Korea or like from Japan, which means that they have to convert their yen to US dollar, then from US dollar to Indonesian rupiah. So the conversion already um, really hurt my profit. And also the PayPal uh, fees also, you know, uh, it's also very hard on my side. Bank transfer is also the same, uh, but usually bank transfer is just not as bad as PayPal, but takes, you know, twice as long. And that if you miss little details, maybe they, you know, I have a foreign name, so like they like to misspell my name. <laughs> so right. like if that happened, then the money bounces. So that's that's like, you know, my, my pain point, right? Like uh, uh, organizing retreat. So um, actually, like I heard about Bitcoin back in 2013, long time ago, but uh, all I know is that there is this new money that, that you can use over the internet. And then on 2016, um, when I'm trying to find a solution uh, to how I can transfer money easily, then I discover again Bitcoin. And then um, at that time in Bali, there's already many businesses that accepted Bitcoin. And then there's also a co-working space that runs like a weekly uh, lesson about Bitcoin, like Bitcoin 101. So uh, yeah, so then I just decided to attend one of the session. And after uh, listening, uh, they have a Bitcoin ATM at the co-working space. So I bought my first Bitcoin there and I thought it was pretty neat. You just put your uh, fiat inside of this machine and then you know uh, you just scan the QR code and at that time QR code is not as common as right now right like yeah. most people it's kind of new this QR code um, yeah so uh, so then I, I decided to to try to several clients trying to um, convince them you know hey maybe you can buy uh, you can pay me in Bitcoin and then uh, give them like some tutorial, like every country is different. So um, some, you know, be on board. There are a couple of my clients who decided to try out this new way of paying <laughs> uh, uh, people. So yeah, it was it was interesting. I did a, an A-B testing. So uh, I have a client who pay me in PayPal and I also have a client who, who paid me uh, in Bitcoin. So the one where I... Uh, where the client who pay me in Bitcoin, we just do a Skype call and then we decided on the Bitcoin exchange rate. And then um, he paid me on on that Skype call. Like I just show him my, my QR code, he scanned it, the money came through. Uh, there is an OTC uh, here in Bali. So I just go there, sell my Bitcoin, uh, get some cash. And then also, you know, pay all of the vendor. Everything happened in like less than 30 minutes. But the one that uh, paid me in PayPal, uh, there was like several bank uh, holidays. So it takes 10 days for the money to be deposited to my bank account. And then, of course, like I lose so many fees already. Yeah. So that was quite interesting case. Um, and then also like this is between 2016, 2017, where... Bitcoin start going into this bull run phase. So some, I also did, um, like, I guess at that time, like the way I, I accumulate my Bitcoin, I don't know if this is a good business practice, but this is what I did before. Like uh, if a um, client paid me, 
um, because like I said, usually retreat happen for six to one year. So the, the money is just parked there in, in my bank account doing nothing, right? So instead of just like parking there, I convert that money into Bitcoin. And then by the time uh, the retreat is about to start and I need to cash out, I just take the principal and I leave the Bitcoin, uh, uh, like, you know, the remainder in my in my Bitcoin account. So that was very fun ways to <laughs> to accumulate a lot of Bitcoin at that time. Yeah, absolutely. How much uh, uptake did you see in that? Did a lot of clients, I mean, 2016 was uh, pretty early in terms of general awareness of Bitcoin. Did a lot of customers actually choose to pay that way? Did you offer them a discount if they paid in Bitcoin? Uh, I did. I offered them a discount of 10% discount. But yeah. it's not that many. I guess it's just like some handful. I mean, uh, mostly, if especially if the company is like a startup that wants to do company a team retreat, they are mostly on board uh, for, for this idea. Oh, but really? Regular people, not really. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's for them, it's like even to just switch from, let's say, using PayPal to WISE that is having a better conversion, it's all already hard for them <laughs> to, to convince them to pay in Bitcoin is also another uh, layer. But um, yeah, it's just take like, you know, some education and if they are excited, then we just go for it. Um, otherwise, um, yeah. Uh, we just uh, we just accept you know a regular way, right? Okay, so you would actually kind of walk through with your customers how to make a Bitcoin payment, and I guess for some of them that was their first encounter with Bitcoin as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But unfortunately, um, in two thousand nineteen, then there was a, a a Bitcoin payment ban in Indonesia. <laughs> Ah. So the government decided to, um, I mean, not only Bitcoin, but also other type of currency. So any merchant cannot accept dollar or yen or euro. Otherwise, you're going to get fined. And that's also including Bitcoin. So, um, yeah, uh, before that, there is actually, you know, like how right now we have this PTC map. So back in the day in Bali, we have also a directory called BitIsland. So okay. uh, like all of the businesses in Bali that accepted Bitcoin, they list, they list themselves in that uh, directory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So when that happened, uh, I guess people, you know, uh, just don't want to get into trouble. So then they, they, they stop um, accepting payment. Um, but I hope that, um, you know, through running this conference, showcasing like different use case in, in different countries, um, and, you know, we are also inviting regulators. Hopefully they, there is a, an, an improvement in terms of this payment. Uh, but even though the Bitcoin payment is not allowed in Indonesia, but uh, Bitcoin is still accepted as, a, as an investment. Uh, it's, it's considered as a commodity here. Um, and the government is actually really uh, pushing people like, you know, hey, uh, you know, learn about Bitcoin um, uh, oh, really? and also invest on Bitcoin. Yeah, even the, the president uh, there, he had he made a speech about that. He said, like, young people, Indonesian young people needs to learn about Bitcoin. <laughs> so huh. I was, I don't know if it's just a buzzword <laughs> that he used, you know, to make himself look 
um, yeah, to make himself uh, being more relevant to like what's happening uh, currently. Yeah. But uh, it's a good way to to uh, encourage people to learn yeah. about the Bitcoin. In Japan, there's a bit of that, but right now the word is definitely Web3, not Bitcoin. Yeah, yes, yes. Also the same. <laughs> yeah, so with that law that uh, was passed in 2019 saying vendors could only accept the Indonesian rupiah, that law is still in effect? That law is still in effect, yes. And that law uh, is still in effect. from the government's perspective, what was their reason for uh, en enacting that, do you think? For that? Well, I mean, it makes sense because Indonesia is a, is a country with weak currency, right? Uh, we, had, we had two big inflation in the past, back in 1965 and 1998. Hmm. Um, in 1965, I think almost 1,000% or even more. Uh, in 1998, wow. uh, also 200% or something like that because of the uh, Asia monetary crisis. So like everyone in Indonesia is a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> like if you, everyone hoping to be millionaire, it happened in Indonesia, you know? Uh, yeah. So 1 million rupiah is equal to $60. Wow. So, um, and, and, and I think that's, that's, that's the main reason they, they want to make sure that there is still a demand on uh, Indonesian rupiah. Hmm. And obviously, um, I mean, since since the Asia monetary crisis, people are stacking dollars, people are stacking gold, and now like people are start stacking Bitcoin as a way for them to hedge against inflation because things like what happened in 1998 or like back in the past can happen again. Uh, like right now, we are we are also um, entering the the crisis, the economy crisis, so. Yeah, um, that's. I think that's the main reason, and uh, also, uh, I mean, the government always want to to have a control over uh, the money supply, right? Uh, over mm -hmm. their the money, the currency that that in in within their territory. So um, in Indonesia, they also just release like a national QR payment system that is being implemented like all over the country. And it's actually quite, quite fast, quite snappy. But of course, the, the downside is that uh, when you use this, the government is always take your data, you know, it's in, it's in a mobile wallet. So they know like, where do you go? Uh, mm. What kind of things that you purchase, uh, your, your purchasing behavior. Um, and I guess this is like the, the pathway towards uh, the CBDC. Uh, they, right. uh, Indonesia also wants to uh, adopt CBDC. So I think the ban, uh, like to make sure that people are not using Bitcoin as a payment is the way to, to uh, yeah, set uh, um yeah, set like a precedence that the government is going to control the money, something like that. <laughs> right. Do you think there's any hope of them repealing that law for payments? Is there, I mean, I suppose, uh, say there was a huge demand from tourists who want to pay in Bitcoin. If they 
saw, I mean, that that's probably still um, quite a ways off. But uh, if the government saw, okay, allowing Bitcoin payment will result in uh, a boost to the economy, do you think something like that would uh, would make them think about uh, changing the law? I guess so. Like, um, I mean, um, I think it's also, you know, Indonesia is a developing country and then we are following also the footstep of like big, big countries, right? I mean, Indonesia recently is part of the G20. Um, of course, like now everyone is talking about, you know, how to make, how to move into more renewable, like all the, the, the G20 agenda. Um, but <clears throat> what I see is that uh, when things are becoming very obvious that you have to adopt something and not, you know, uh, not just ignoring it, then of course the country will, will jump on board. The same thing mm-hmm. like internet, you know, like when the internet first came about, all the government is, is you know, very cautious about it they think it's just a fad they think it's a it's not going to last but more and more there's some there is an incentive to adopt internet and using internet as part of uh, not only just the daily life but also in the government uh, you know uh, system so i would say that yeah i mean right now we are in this uh many countries we see that there's a lot of banning of Bitcoin. Maybe there's a ban of buying Bitcoin and there's a ban of uh, mining Bitcoin. But there's also countries that really smart and capitalize on this. And the countries that are smart, uh, eventually we will see the, the, the result, like what they, uh, what they have achieved by by adopting Bitcoin, by mining Bitcoin, or like accepting it as a payment, uh, bringing a lot of tourists, uh, boosting the economy. And uh, of course, you know, like the other country will start noticing and then we'll, we'll start adopting. That's, that's my hope. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm mm-hmm. too naive, but I, I think that's in, in, inevitable. You know, I think um, it's just uh, whenever I see Bitcoin, I always just see it like uh, internet. You know the adoption; um, it's it's just gonna go up, and and more and more people is going to need it, especially right now when the uh, the economy crisis is kind of looming <laughs> in many yeah. places. Yeah, that sounds pretty similar to Japan, where they're probably not going to lead the way on something new, especially if it's perceived as risky. But if everyone else does it, especially countries that they emulate, then they will. Uh, eventually make the same moves, the same uh, regulatory changes. Um, yeah. Speaking of I mean, mining... This, oh, this, year, this year is a crazy year, right? This year is crazy year. Uh, I mean, the it biggest is. country in the world, you know, US, uh, two of the candidates are just talking about Bitcoin in their campaign. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, that's wild. More so than two, I think. It's wild, yeah. And Argentina as well, and I mean, uh, it's inevitable. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it's starting to feel that way. Um, you mentioned mining. Uh, one thing I realized as I was uh, uh, doing some research for uh, this podcast is that uh, Indonesia and Japan both have significant geothermal 
reserves, actually. And I know uh, the governor of West Java was at the Bitcoin conference in Miami this May, talking about potentially using um, geothermal energy to power Bitcoin mining. And uh, I want to be clear for the audience, um, at least as I understand it, the goal would not be just to uh, increase Bitcoin mining. But the idea is that uh, by adding Bitcoin mining to the equation, you can make some of these projects profitable, whereas they wouldn't have been profitable before, which is a way of introducing more renewable energy uh, and potentially powering communities that, that didn't have much access to power before. But um, has there been any movement on that that you're aware of in Indonesia, um, Bitcoin mining and renewable energy? Hmm. Well, as far as I know, um, so right now i think there are some talks regarding understanding the regulate regulation part understanding like how to go about um, um yeah you know moving forward um there are actually companies and little pockets of mining happening in indonesia in a small scale level but i guess the when governor came up you know publicly at the uh, Bitcoin conference, I guess he just wants to very focusing on his region mm. to be able to uh, utilize the advantage of using Bitcoin mining and also, uh, you know, one for boosting the economy and two also uh, pushing the renewable energy part because he is the head of, uh, so we have like a, like a association of, um, like province leader that focusing on renewable energy. So he's like heading that project. So I think that's one of the reason why he really curious about how Bitcoin mining can boost the, the renewable energy since also recently uh, Indonesia was being uh, mandated by the G20 uh, members to move more into renewables because we are using a lot of coal uh, right. right now. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the motivation. And you're asking like what's happening um, next, I guess there's still a lot of uh, homework that we need to do before uh, the governor can bringing all these big mining companies to Indonesia. Like we, I guess he wants to make sure that before we bringing all this investment in, we already have, you know, the uh, the the company set up, the regulatory uh, uh, base baseline, and also co coordination with the energy companies, right? Because in Indonesia, there's only one energy company, like a national energy company, and they are the one who uh, dictate of what's uh, like how the energy is being used, how the energy mm. is being used in the industry, how the energy is being used in the housing. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's quite interesting. Uh, but what I just re read recently, um, I know that as part of, uh, so Indonesia has a goal to electrify the entire country by I think 2025 or something like that, or 2050. Mm -hmm. or I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure like what is the year, but uh, the goal is like to, to electrify all Indonesia. And I know uh, there are still many 
villages even in the main island like in java or in sumatra or in borneo that still doesn't have any electricity right so the government uh actually supporting villages to create a micro hydro plant um and i think uh, i mean this is just uh, an idea in my head i think that this can potentially be a good way to pair it with uh, bitcoin mining you know if you have a mini hydro that just uh, power your village you can use this excess energy to also mine bitcoin <laughs> Yeah, but absolutely. I guess the, the the next thing is to educate educate all these uh, village leaders that this is actually you know possible. Yeah, I mean, plenty of times of day that uh, power demand is not that high, so then use use it to mine Bitcoin during those low demand hours, and uh, then switch it off uh, during the high demand hours. I think it, it makes a lot of sense, and yeah, hopefully mm -hmm. we will see more and more projects start to uh, incorporate that in, but. Yeah, uh, I was just curious about that because, uh, like I said, Japan also has a lot of geothermal and historically Japan has had to import most of its power, um, but I, I would love to see it become a bit more energy independent, uh, um, which, I mean, would, would help out Japanese citizens a lot to not have to pay such sky-high energy prices. Um, and I thought maybe Bitcoin mining could help uh, introduce some of that uh um, domestic power. Um, how about, uh, I'm curious, um, I know I've heard you say that uh, just like Japan, Indonesia has a language barrier when it comes to um, spreading knowledge about Bitcoin. Um, how about, uh, I find with Japan, even if you translate the material, it's it's from such a different culture and often with Bitcoin from the West, it tends to be kind of tied to libertarian ideas. Um, so there's kind of a need to translate not just the language, but also put it in a, a cultural context that is that is understandable or appealing. Um, what have you found in Indonesia? What kind of aspects of Bitcoin are compelling for Indonesians? And uh, what are what are some of the challenges in um, sharing those ideas? Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree. Language barrier is a big thing in, in many Bitcoin adoption around the world. Um, so that's why, like, you know, at Class Bitcoin, what we are trying to do is uh, instead of like reinventing the wheel, we just like translate what what resources that are already available out there. So then uh, people can uh, access it, can read it. We run like um, meetups or, or even uh, classes so like like this next Tuesday I'm gonna teach uh, university students about um, lightning and Bitcoin so um, I think when it comes to education it's always about um, yeah I agree making it as in a local context in the language that they understand but we <clears throat> we also need to understand that uh, when it comes to learning there are several steps so first you know with first interaction, maybe you go from the remembers, remember stage and then from the remember, you go to understanding and then from mm -hmm. the understanding, you go to the ap applying, applying what you already know. And then from that, you learn to uh, evaluate and from the evaluate, then you learn to uh, create something, right? 
there's like a lot of steps for people to, if we talk about orange pill, <laughs> this is why it takes so long for people to get orange pill. Even for yeah. me, I learned about Bitcoin in 2016. I don't really understand even though i use it for like you know like i told you for transferring money but i don't really understand the true purpose and meaning of bitcoin until early 2020 mm -hmm. uh, and that's just because we need to have you know we when we do education we need to over and over um you know telling people the same thing until until it suddenly click on their head and then they go to the, this application and then evaluating and creating stage. Um, so you ask about what, uh, how is it in Indonesia, like what type of content or context that is really relevant for us? Obviously, it's about inflation because it's always close to home. Um, we always see that prices goes up every year. It's getting harder to buy a house it's getting harder to to you know save um, right now the the vice president just currently announced that indonesian people uh, young people is not making enough babies <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's also I, I guess you know with with japan this is also yeah. related you know with yeah. inflation uh, when things are very expensive we think twice about building a family because that mean costs more money and and you know like um, that's just decrease their confidence of uh, creating a family. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this type of topic obviously uh, relevant for Indonesia. Um, yeah, even even back then, uh, our grandparents, our parents always told us if you have money. Uh, save it, save it in gold. You know, like buy gold, buy gold jewelry because that's that's more everlasting than if you just put your money in the bank. And then we had we had history before where uh, in 1998 so many banks closed down because um, because of the monetary crisis. So like my parents, uh, they put a lot of money in this one bank, and then. Obviously, because of the Asia monetary crisis, the bank was told them that they are going to close temporarily, but never open up until now. And then they lost all the money. Right. <laughs> so, wow. yeah, uh, this this kind of things, uh, it's it's um, it's what happened in Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. OK, very, very close to home. Um, and that, that's interesting that uh, people do have a, an image of gold as something that you can uh, store your purchasing power in. I was just talking with uh, a friend in the States and he um, he viewed gold as just like this conservative, almost like a conspiracy theory, like uh, only these irrelevant conservatives are telling people to buy gold. And I was kind of shocked by his perspective. But I think when, yeah, when you're in a place like the U.S., especially in certain states or economic situations, you you have no, well, not no need, but uh, you never have the opportunity to, to think about other stores of value besides the dollar. Um, so yeah, that is that is, uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's a tragedy that that Indonesians have needed to know about these things. But 
I guess also it's better to to know than than not know. Uh, do you think uh, those kind of topics like uh, inflation, macroeconomics will be a big topic at the conference? Oh, definitely. <laughs> That's uh, we have. Yeah, we have several agenda lineup. Um, we have especially Alex Gladstein uh, also from Human Rights Foundation is going to come right. to the conference and he write a lot of books regarding like uh, one book's called Check Your Financial Privilege and also the the latest one Hidden Repression uh this is very very relevant for Indonesia you know like how um how much actually having a hard money and and uh storing your wealth in something that cannot be debased is very important mm-hmm. um and something like bitcoin is very important yeah so we we are going to talk, cover about that but part of the economy and inflation we also going to talk about uh, the adoption in indonesia probably like challenges or things that we can learn so far i think that we learn from different communities around southeast asia because like I want to showcase to uh, uh, the audience, the, especially the Indonesian audience, that things are moving forward in different countries. Uh, so we need to also keep up with them. You know, like we don't want to be uh, the one that left behind and then um, everything is just too late. You know, we are too late to join the party. <laughs> yeah. So uh, showcasing those uh, achievements and also challenges um, as well. Um, we are also going to um, talk about like new development in Bitcoin, something like Fedimin, something like uh, Noster. This is like two very recent and 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 exciting, um, uh, yeah, things that we can implement it not only just on content but also like on a community level. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we also going to uh, dig. Uh, deep into uh, technical stuff uh, like workshops. We have many workshops. We also have a specific session if if people want to be a Bitcoin company founder. So um, because a lot of entrepreneurs in Indonesia, people love to make businesses, make deals. So um, uh. yeah, I want to showcase just like how how many uh, opportunity it is in in the Bitcoin space. Not only just, you know, we are talking, a lot of people talking about Web3, a lot of people talking about blockchain, and people only think that Bitcoin is is a very boring asset. <laughs> Not, you know, like old school asset, the same like gold. <laughs> yeah. But no, like actually there are many, many cool things happening in Bitcoin and uh, people should be on board. I feel like that that was like a one year transition from like, oh, Bitcoin is this crazy new thing to, oh, Bitcoin's so boring. Uh, why would anyone pay attention to it anymore? But maybe that's just uh, kind of the the uh, the result of having one foot in in two different communities. Um, so how is the mm-hmm. conference agenda laid out um, for uh, first of all, is is there one stage, multiple stages? We're going to have two stages. Um, oh. The first one is like mostly for panel and discussion. And then the second one is mostly for like a very hands-on workshop style. Um, we are estimating like maybe around 500 people uh, or even more to join the conference. Just want to make it 
uh, not too big, you know, because uh, I really like this small, medium sized conference mm. so people can connect and then hang out. Um, the main object- objective is obviously to learn and um, connect and also build things together. So, uh, for example, we have also a side event uh, called Lightning Hackathon, right. which is going to be our first Lightning Hackathon that we are doing. Um, and the purpose is to one to introduce uh, Indonesian developer about Lightning Network because I mean I guess you probably know even if you are like diving into Web three you probably never heard at all about Lightning Network right Yeah <laughs> I when I run meetups here it's always so funny when uh, you know people are uh, being in a crypto space but they never even try to to send payments with Lightning and always so amazed how fast everything, uh, you know, seamlessly, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we are going to run a lightning hackathon and um, the price for this hackathon is going to be uh, $10,000, the total price. So the first winner will get $5,000, the second winner will get $3,000, and then the third winner will get $2,000. Wow. Um, I mean, this for... For Indonesian, that's quite a big amount, for especially for developers. Uh, so we are hoping, um, yeah, we are hoping that a lot of uh, new cool ideas is going to um, come up from this hackathon. Uh, On the hackathon, how do how do people enter into that? Oh, they can just go to our website. Uh, just go to the hackathon site, and then they just apply. Uh, oh yeah, just uh, also side note that this hackathon is part of uh, a bigger hackathon called Legend of Lightning uh, from Bolt.Fun. So um, anyone who participating at the Indonesia Bitcoin Conference hackathon are also eligible to participate in the Legend of Lightning uh, global hackathon um that's running until, if I'm not mistaken, they their the end date is December. Uh, and if you win the global hackathon, the prize pool is two point five Bitcoin. Wow, that's uh, what is that? Fifty uh, over sixty thousand dollars, right now at least. Yes. So if anyone participating in our hackathon, they can also get a chance to win the two point five Bitcoin, whether you win at the hackathon in the local chapter or not, you are still eligible to participate in the global one. Okay. Is it individual entry or uh, teams? Uh, they can work as an individual. They can also work as teams. So we are using the Bolt.Fun uh, platform where the team can, if they need to find someone to... Um, you know, team up, they can also post it in the Bolt.Fun channel. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's actually the, the hackathon is open for anyone, whether you are, whether you have a developing skill already or or uh, maybe you just have, have idea. I mean, obviously, uh, it will be best if you already, um, if you can create like some kind of prototype or like proof of concept what uh for the idea that you are having but uh, like last year i know that in africa bitcoin conference the winner of that hackathon was uh, like 
I think this person was wasn't a, a developer, so he just like created a concept and then he won oh, the wow. So that can also be be you know uh, the 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 main thing is about idea and how it's actually relevant for for the user and then also then later the execution. <laughs> right. Okay. So open to non-developers as well. Yes. Um, I am pretty new to hackathons. I only uh, I experienced my first one only a few months ago, um, going to a conference for CoinPost. Um, but yeah, what a cool experience! Just observing uh, people come to a location and they code in some cases through the night, just uh, trying to build out this idea, trying to get just something going that they can present on stage, and then. <laughs> Uh, in many cases, uh, win win prize money from various sponsors yeah. for different ideas. Um, I think uh, there are quite a number of developers in Japan, so I hope uh, maybe some Japanese developers or even non-developers can enter the uh, the uh, Lightning Hackathon. I saw that it's starting October seven. Yeah, uh, we we are going to start the learning on the 7th of October. Uh, and then after that, uh, yeah, people can start hacking until before the conference. Hopefully, like before the conference, we can get the finalists. So then uh, those finalists will present it to the judge uh, about their project. And then um, we will announce the winner on the 27th at the end of the conference. Okay, so still some time to to get your act together if you want to join. Um, would you say that people who join need to be able to understand English? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Um, all right, how about for the... So that's from October 7. The actual con conference is uh, October... Uh, well, 26. some... Right, 26, 27. Some events on the 25th and the 28th as well? Yes, so 26th, 27th as a conference. On the 25th, if you guys come early, which uh, we encourage you guys to do so, so you can join the networking event. Uh, mainly is because, you know, I, can't, I went to many conferences and I always, uh, I always don't like when you go to a conference and then you don't know which one you want to choose, whether to listen to the to the speaker or you want to make a networking and make connection. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I've been to several Bitcoin conference where there's always a pre-event uh, where people are networking together, get to know each other. So when you are at the conference, you feel like you already make some friends and, and that's really good starts. Uh, so yeah, so on the 25th, there will be a networking event, mainly just for connecting, to get to know each other. And then um, for the VIP pass holder, we're also going to have a dinner with speakers. So that's also going to happen on the 25th. Um, and then the event, 26 and 27, just like regular. Uh, we also going to have some social hour after the conference. And um, yeah, I was just thinking, uh, some people said, like, why don't we have the after party right after the conference? But I thought, well, a lot of people might want to have a beach day and then just want to have a relaxed setting where they don't need to think about <laughs> that they, they can be like in their bathing suit, 
you know, swimming in the pool, enjoying, enjoying Bali. Like, so that's why we thought, yeah, let's just do the after party after the conference. So then people yeah. can be in the more relaxed state and, and yeah, just, just uh, hang out and chill with everyone. Yeah. Sounds amazing. I think, I think I'll be there. Uh, definitely hoping to be there and, uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. Um, another thing I experienced with conferences is that often there's a whole host of side events in addition to the main conference, some of them organized by the conference organizers, but many of them just organized by other companies. Um, is that, uh, is that what you expect for Indonesia Bitcoin conference as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, I know there are some that is planning to do like a parties and, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think they will announce it, you know, closer to date. But at least from right. uh, us as an organizer, uh, our side event is actually started on the 21st. We're going to have a Bitcoin meetup and then 22nd is Sunday. So we are thinking about doing like a Sunday brunch if anyone is coming mm. early. Uh, on the 27th morning, uh, so where we hosted the conference it's actually a very gorgeous sunrise spot. Uh, so we want to do a Bitcoin run, Bitcoin sunrise run. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a promenade they, that you can run there. Uh, we have some Bitcoiners who's going to host that run. So make it the activity more fun. There's also going to be games and, and some other activities. Um, and yeah, uh, I think after, even after the conference, there will be like, some party, some, some, uh, oh, I think there's like a Halloween party happening and also some other meetups. So, um, you know, if you come to Bali, usually you get 30 days, make use of that 30 days. If you can, if you can get out of your job, <laughs> like, yeah. like work from anywhere, uh, there are so many places that you can visit and then enjoy, um, lots of, uh, good Bitcoiners community as well in here. Uh, not only just like. Uh, where I live is near the south area, but also like in Ubud or in Changu, there is some uh, Bitcoin community there as well. So yeah, it's a, a make the make use of this experience. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll have to pack my running shoes then. That yeah, sounds, <laughs> uh, really fun. Um, speaking of after the conference, um, my experience from a few months ago is that even though like from the organizer's perspective, you finish the conference and it's like, oh, it's it's finally done. We we pulled it off. Just want to lie on a beach for for weeks, if not months. But actually, conferences are uh, for the participants in many cases more of a start rather than just a a one off mm -hmm. event. They meet people, they make connections, um, businesses grow out of those encounters. Also, uh, from the organizer's perspective, you, you meet a lot of people. Um, it creates a lot of opportunity going forward. So even though it's, I'm sure it's, it's uh, tough to think about after, after the conference right now, um, have you thought at all about like, how you want to carry the momentum forward after the conference? Oh, yeah. Uh, we are actually preparing for that. Um, so uh, through Class Bitcoin, we will prepare like, um, you know, resources, many resources uh, from free to paid content where people can continue learning and, and get the more, 
like a deeper understanding about Bitcoin. Um, other than that, uh, if you are in Bali, every month we always have meetups. So like going to a meetup, that would be a good way to to reconnect and then to to uh, learn again from you know Bitcoiners. Um, yeah, I guess uh, you know we start with these two things, um, and that can that can usually it will it will flourish to like many many other things <laughs> but uh, start start small i guess resources and guides is actually what people are needing after the conference yes yeah absolutely um we have a few minutes left but i definitely wanted to ask about fetty because you're uh, you're involved with fetty and uh, we actually heard a little bit about Fetty a few podcasts ago. I talked with uh, Nico Lechuga from Ego Death Capital. They're mm-hmm. one of the uh, funds investing in Fetty. Um, mm-hmm. But this idea of um, community custody or a few communi- trusted community members being able to um, uh, organize and coordinate a, uh, a kind of a community microeconomy using Bitcoin, but that doesn't require every person in it to understand Bitcoin or completely understand how to custody it on their own. Um, I'd love to hear what you're seeing with Fetty in Indonesia or even throughout Asia, because I think the last I heard, it was still kind of like uh, a prototype stage or they had the idea, but not much adoption. So what are you seeing with that right now? And uh, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, Fedi as an app, uh, we are still in the alpha stage and we are trying to be, um, yeah, we are trying to be, uh, you know, uh, launch it as relevant as possible to our community. And we are testing in different community at the moment um, to see like how, how is our app working, how they, how they function as a guardian, like, and what type of possibility that they can do so then we can showcase to uh, other people that this is what Fedi can do because this is something new. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's probably hard for people to wrap their head around. But uh, at the conference, you you will be able to test the Fedi app. Um, we oh. are going to create a pop-up federation. So just like a temporary federation um, that uh, the community, which is in here, the participants of the conference can can interact with each other through the, the Fedi app. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean, Fedi is a super app, uh, if I can describe it uh, easily. And uh, the reason is because you can do many things uh, within that app that involve also, that has like a functionality of chat and also send payments, but also you can integrate many um, existing uh web ln services that uh that the community can use together so like i I can give an example like let's say this is a federation of a conference then within the app you can chat with your uh with you know with people that you meet at the conference you can send payments let's say you are sharing a cap to go to the social hour so then you can uh pay the person through the through the Fedi app, and then within the Fedi app as well, we have integrated many uh, uh, many web LN stuff. So you can also uh, maybe you want to 
uh, go to bid refill. You want to buy some voucher when you are in Indonesia. You want to buy your eSIM card. You can just you don't you don't need to leave the uh, and then open a different app. You just go from Fedi app. Everything is there. Or even something that is not related. Let's say for the conference, maybe the agenda, the 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 speaker. Uh, like you want to see what is the agenda. You want to see the speaker profile. You want to. Uh, maybe the organizer would like to broadcast messages to all the the community, which is here the participants. Like, hey, you know, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey is coming up the stage. Don't miss him. Stuff like that. So right. this is this is just a, an example of one type of federation that is event federation, right? Like a small event federation. But imagine if you are a different type of community. Maybe you are uh, farmers. You know that that needs some kind of a funding, so then you can uh, buy your uh, fertilizer or something like that. Then you can also use Fedi as a crowdfunding app, and then people can chat, people can people can coordinate together within the app. But everything runs. Uh, everything is actually going to run very seamlessly, uh, even though we are actually using a federated model like Fedi Mint. People don't really need to, as a user, you don't really need to to really think about uh, the um, the technicality behind it. As long as if you yeah. use it and it works, and the cool thing is with the with the eCash system through Fedimin, it's very interop, uh, it's very uh, easily linked to to the Lightning network. So you can you can easily send your eCash turn into Lightning, and you can also receive it. Um, makes the uh, it makes like everything within that community is very snappy. So you can, if you want to run like a circular economy within your own little community, you can trading this eCash. But like if you want to uh, also interact with other e- ecosystem, like in the Lightning Network, you can also transfer it out. So that's the the idea behind Fedi. Wow. So, uh, I mean, most conferences do have conference apps, but uh, so you're saying that in this case, Fedi will be the conference, the conference app, app. Yeah. But also kind of like creating a micro economy for, for the uh, conference participants. That's wild. Yes. That's why we and call the, it the super app because it's very versatile. You know, we can use it as a conference yeah. app, we can use it for different purpose if you are a different community. So um, yeah, we're trying to to be relevant for the community because community is very, very uh, dynamic as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the founder of Fedi, Obi Nwosu, will be a speaker at the conference. Exactly, he's going to be speaker at the conference. Uh, so if you want to learn more about Fedi Min, if you want to learn more about uh, the Fedi app, uh, yeah, you know, we they're going to have some um you know presence there like booths and and people from Fedi as well if you want to talk to them there's going to be there awesome well Dea, last question you've been on a lot of podcasts recently i'm sure is there anything that uh, you wish podcasters would ask you but they never do <laughs> uh, that's a hard question <laughs> uh, well maybe uh uh, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just like a, more like a, a, a statement. It's just that 
um, yes, it, this the conference that I've been talking about. Uh, it's going to be like our first Indonesia Bitcoin conference, but I'm very um, excited about it and very uh, hopeful that you know this is going to be like a continuous thing because Indonesia is uh, Indonesia is the largest. No, not the largest. Like the fourth largest population in the world after China, India, Indonesia, eh, U.S., and then Indonesia, right? So uh, the potential for big Bitcoin adoption is there. <laughs> and if we can onboard a lot of people, um, it's not. It's going to to yeah, not only just make it better for for the bitcoin world but also you know make it better for for a lot of people in indonesia so yeah come come to the conference support us uh spread the news um and uh hopefully you know i can see you guys at the conference if not this year and probably next year but we are yeah we are very excited about it so am i uh indonesia bitcoinconference.com the link will be in the show notes, but yeah, encourage everyone to visit the site. Is there anywhere else you'd like to send people? Yeah, if you want to uh, check out like more late, like you know, latest update, you can go to our Twitter, Bitcoin Conf ID. So that's for the Bitcoin conference. And if you go to Instagram, if you're uh, also not using Twitter but like using Instagram, there's Indonesia Bitcoin Conference uh, in on Instagram handle. Yeah. Amazing. Dea, I've, uh, I've been inspired by your story and, uh, I mean, creating this, this uh, conference essentially out of nothing. So, yeah, thank you so much for your time and uh, hopefully see you at the end of October. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Bradley, for inviting me to the show. And I hope to see you in October and also all of your friends come to Bali and uh, hang out with us. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, what would you think of that? I'm really impressed with the lineup of speakers. They have Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, Alex Gladstein, the CSO of the Human Rights Foundation, whom Dea mentioned during the conversation, Obi Nwosu, founder of Fetty, and many more. Speaking of Fetty, I'm excited to hear that they've developed to the point of being able to use it as a conference app. Up until now, I've been thinking of it as a custody solution for communities without good physical security, but clearly I was thinking too small. Lots of possibilities there, so I hope I can go and experience it, and I hope you can too. Like I mentioned, you can use discount code BTP2023 to get 10% off, but I actually saw an even bigger discount when I visited the site just now, so I won't blame you if you use that instead. Many more Asia events to cover, so subscribe to the show if you don't want to miss an episode. And if you'd like to help me out, a rating or review or sharing this episode with a friend would really go a long way. In any case, let me know what you thought. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you again soon. GM Radio.